understand this morning the, the power that's in the message of Jesus. How many of you here would say it was that message that changed my life? It was the message of the gospel that radically changed my life forever. Can I hear an amen? amen. And, and what we're looking at, um, starting last week and this week and then finishing up in Easter, we're looking at the encounters that Jesus had with certain individuals and, and how those encounters radically changed their lives. Now, we looked at this encounter last week where Pilate sat right before Jesus, asked what the truth is, but his heart was so indifferent to the truth that Jesus wanted to offer because he was too busy and too wrapped up with the things of the world and his own popularity and his own ruling that he didn't have time just to stop for just a minute and listen to what the Son of God had to say. And here's what I wanted to say to you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I'm kind of on a fence a little bit with uh, the whole Jesus thing. Uh, I'm kind of seeking it out and, and wanting to know more. Fantastic. Uh, maybe some of you are here today, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and I, I get it up here, this cerebral understanding of Jesus, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm really getting it all here. It's not really translating the way I live my life every single day. And here's what I want you to see today. I want us to be careful, because last week we talked about having an indifferent heart, because how many know we can get so wrapped up in the things of our world that our ears can become indifferent and hardened to what Jesus wants to speak to our hearts each and every day? And so I want us to be tender. I want us to listen to the Holy Spirit. And, and the story that we're going to see today and the encounter that Jesus had today absolutely blows my mind. It is so counterintuitive to the message that we hear in the world today. And what separates Christianity from every other world religion is this one word, grace. Grace is so difficult to understand. It's so hard for us to understand how a loving father, how God himself could come into our mess and our world and our evil and offer himself to us when we don't deserve it. How many of you know it's when someone does something against you, right? It's hard to offer grace and forgiveness. It, we want that grace and forgiveness, but many times it's difficult to us to offer that grace and forgiveness because we categorize people and their sin and what they've done against us. And I want you to understand something here. God's grace is free. There are no strings attached to his grace. You didn't merit his grace. There's nothing good in us that, that would receive this grace. And this is the story. This is the encounter that I want you to see today. This story blows my socks off because it just throws a monkey wrench into all our theology and what we think about God or what we don't think about God. And it blows our theology of thinking that God is some ogre in the sky, just waiting for us, for those that think that way, waiting for us to mess up. It, it blows our theology away of thinking that, that God is, uh, you know, God is just, you know, hey, Barden, okay, now you messed up and bad things are going to happen in your life, Wh whatever. I want you to see this story today, this encounter today of God's outlandish grace and how he desires to pour his grace on your life for you to receive that grace, which can transform your life and the way you live your life from this moment forward. Are you guys ready? Are you ready? 
Are your seatbelts on? Did you get your coffee this morning? Was your orange juice expired? Because I hope it was, because I want you guys to be revved up this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, um, I want to look at this encounter uh, that, that Jesus had and, uh, with the thief on the cross. And we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter uh, 23. It's amazing when you look at, just turn there. If you, you can look up at the screens too. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Your app on your phone, I'll let you do it as long as you don't. Look at anything else. Just look at your Bible. Everybody look at your neighbor if they've got their phone up. Make sure they're looking at their Bible. Just teasing, just teasing. Um, not looking at your text or Facebook, okay? Um, it's amazing. I, I, I like the story. You know, I, I like the, the famous last sayings of, of people. And obviously, we're, we're looking at the story of Jesus hanging on the cross. There's two thieves um, next to him. And... There are some words that, that Jesus says on the cross. Some of them are, are, Father, for God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He shares these words, it is finished. Father, into my hands I commit my spirit. He says the words, today you will be with me in paradise, to the one thief hanging next to him. We're going to dig into that. And it's interesting what people have said before they died. Pablo Picasso, a famous painter, said, drink to me. That was his Famous last words. Harriet Tubman, the abolitionist, died in Auburn, New York in 1913, was said to her family around her, she said, swing low, sweet chariot. I like that. Steve Jobs, Apple co-founder, said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. Interesting. Novelist Herbert George Wells may have gotten it wrong when he said, go away, I'm all right. And then he died. This, this, one of Jesus' last words from the cross was this, today you will be with me in paradise. And I want to look at this encounter that Jesus had with this thief. So Luke 23, we're going to look at, at verses 32 through 40, uh, 43. And let's see what is said here in God's word. It said, two other men, both criminals, were also let out to be executed when they came to the place called the skull. And there they crucified him along with criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saves others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you under the same sentence? We are, we are punished justly and we're getting what, we, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And when he said this, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is an amazing encounter. I don't know about you, but are there certain encounters that you just remember, certain people you met, or or things that just kind of stick out in your mind? So I was writing this message, these series of messages, I was just trying to think of certain encounters that I had that really stuck out in my mind. And there's this one encounter that I had that is deeply seared 
into my brain. I actually have, I actually have nightmares about this at times just because it was such an intense encounter that I'll never forget. And it was with a snake. Now, I don't know about you. If you're a snake lover, more power to you. I cannot stand snakes. I'm, I'm so afraid of snakes. And we were, years ago, my kids were younger, and I was sitting on my back stoop, and there was a big, I don't know if it was a, a milk, I don't care what it was. It was either a milk snake or I don't know what it was. It was huge. It was like 18 feet long. No, it was big though. I mean, it was, it was thick. It was, it was big. I think it was an anaconda. That's what I think it was. I know they don't live in this region, but it was, it, that's what it was. Um, and I remember sitting there and um, this milk snake or whatever, whatever the thing was, it was huge. It had huge teeth, red eyes, and it talked to me. No, I'm just teasing. But it was, it was just satanic, okay? The thing was satanic. And so I'm sitting there, and it comes under the, 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 the patio we had right there, the stone patio, and it just slithered out. Now, I think my daughter, who's 16 now, I think she was four. She looks at it, and this is what she, my four-year-old daughter, this is what she says at the time. That's cool, Daddy. Pick it up. Now, I'm screaming, curled up, fetal position, sucking my thumb, screaming like a four-year-old little girl should. I'm like, no way. And I'm like, you know, and so the thing, so I wanted to get the, by the time I got the shovel, I don't know where the thing went. I think it went, we had the door, I think it went in the garage. I don't know what happened. I, I blacked out at that point. Um, but those, I just don't like snakes. And so there's these encounters that you have that you just never forget about. And I love these encounters that Jesus had with some of these people, because it shows, what it shows is a couple things. It shows the heart of man. And it shows the heart of Christ and how he deals with people and how he deals with us. So here's the scene. The scene is Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been beaten beyond recognition. And he's between these two other men, one on his right, one on his left, now, Rome used the punishment of the cross to deter anyone from wanting to rebel against Rome. So it was really just a public spectacle to bring fear into the public. And so it was really a picture of public shame. They were shaming you because of the crimes that you committed. And so it was supposed to keep people in check. And so Jesus hung there with, these, with those who committed crimes, which could have easily included murder and, and I want you to understand that this was really a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah says, And I will give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels, which is you and I. Perfect picture of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so at this moment, we have this huge crowd. They're standing around. You have common people, religious people. They're all watching this scene, he, what we see in the scriptures is he's being mocked. Uh, they're casting lots for his clothes. Soldiers mocked him. The thieves, at that point, both thieves, and some of you may not know that, uh, but the scriptures tell us that both thieves at one point, even the one who turned to Christ was mocking him at one point. And once again, in the Old Testament uh, fulfillment of prophecy in Psalms twenty two eighteen, it says they they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garments. We see so many Old Testament scriptures fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ through biblical prophecy. And so Jesus from the cross, he's in agony, but he's not thinking about himself. 
And what does he say? He says, Father God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yet Jesus provides us this ultimate example for us on how we're to look at our enemies. And what's so amazing about this encounter is the way the two thieves deal with Jesus. They're watching Jesus as with the crowd. And it's incredible how Jesus deals with his suffering at this point. He's constantly looking to the will of God and to others. And not necessarily what he's going through personally. At first, they're mocking Jesus. The crowds are mocking Jesus. Uh, You can see the hate and animosity that people have towards Jesus. And I want you to see that's, that's because of our sin. And so they're mocking the very one who is taking away their sin. But their sin yells out. Their hatred is in their heart. And so Jesus, Jesus on the cross exposed the heart of man and the forgiveness that we needed from the Savior. But something happens to one of the thieves. We don't know either one of their names. We really don't know anything about them. And, 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 and maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be. I think, they're, I think they're supposed to remain nameless. And here's the reason why. The thieves are us. The thieves are us. Because this is how we react to Christ and his message. We either don't care or we mock. How many times have I used Christ's name in vain? Or how many times do we hear others use the name of Jesus in vain and really mock what he's done for us? Or actually, maybe some of us, many of us have come to understand what Jesus actually did for us and and that we realize that it was our sin that caused Jesus to die. See, there's a, Jesus, through his grace and his love, is constantly, constantly reaching out to us. But our sin, our sin is always there that denies that truth of what Jesus wants to do for us. It's so hard for us to overcome, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's so hard for us to overcome the pride that is in our heart But when you come face to face with the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. You see, the issue that many people have uh, with Christianity is really not so much about Jesus as much as it is about the followers of Jesus. Can we be honest with ourselves this morning? Many times Christians haven't done the best job of representing Jesus. Can I get an amen? How many of us at one time or another said, man, that was dumb. Why did I say that? That was self-righteous. That was judgmental. See, the issue is, the issue is, it comes down to who Jesus is and what he did for us. And when you look into the scripture and you see how Jesus dealt with people and how he showed grace, the argument is not against Jesus and what he did. The argument is against his truth. Either he is or he isn't God. His body is either in the grave or it's not, and there's nothing to prove that it's still there. All signs point to Jesus is not there, he is risen. And so the question is, what do we do with Jesus and his truth and his love? And so when we're confronted that with that truth, it shines a huge spotlight on our hearts. And in our hearts, we, we, we want to we self-protect ourselves. We, we want to protect because we don't want to think that, am I really that wayward? I, I really want my good works. I, I, wanna, I want everything to shine on how good I am. And I want people to see this part of me that I I will only let people see. But when we're alone in our own thoughts, we do realize, you know what? Everything's not as it's supposed to be sometimes. 
But yet Jesus still loves us. And he still calls us. With all our mistakes, all the stuff, all the skeletons that are in our closet, Jesus still calls out to us. And I want you to see that this scene at the cross with the two thieves is a perfect picture of our lives. It's a perfect picture of our lives. See, what does this scene at the cross reveal about us? That's the question I want to ask today. What does the scene at the cross reveal about us? And I've got the notes in there and the bulletins if you want to follow along for all you studious note takers. But let's see what the scene at the cross reveals about us. The one thief, we can see, only cares about using Jesus to get him out of his mess. So, so if you really are the son of God, then, then get us out of this mess. The one criminal who hung there, he railed at him and he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And the word, the word rail there literally means to blaspheme. You know, how, whether this is in our own life or you've heard someone else say this, how many times you've heard things like God has let me down or why is this happening to me? God didn't come through for me. We want God to do something for us. And when he doesn't, when it doesn't happen, we just cast our belief aside. See, the one thief, the only thing he wanted Jesus for, what what is going to benefit him. So he may say, you know, I'll try the Jesus thing. But if it doesn't work out, if if, if he doesn't play to my advantage, then, then it's not true or it's not real. And that's the way many people, that's the way their faith is. With Jesus, it's more, what does it benefit me? But I want you to see the other thief, even though he started mocking Jesus, I I want you to see something changed in the other, other thief. There was something that permeated his heart that recognized his own sin. When we can get to that point in our life, everything changes. When we can get to the point that we recognize that we alienated ourselves from God because of our own sin, and we're all in the same boat there, that's when our life changes. See, the other thief recognized his need for Jesus. Now catch this. This thief wasn't looking for Jesus of instant gratification. Save us and save yourself. This man knew he was going to die. And what he did was he looked beyond his death to eternity. Beyond the grave to eternity. He knew something wasn't right with his soul. Maybe this man knew Isaiah's prophecy of of what King David said about the Messiah and and what would happen to him. Maybe the thief saw and understood these verses were being fulfilled right before his very eyes. We don't know. Maybe the man understood that his soul was in need of saving. And so he, he calls out to Jesus and he says very simply, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Can I just put a couple holes in all our theology right now? Can I just do that real quick? Can I just do that? Let me just say this. Let me sidetrack for just a minute. I believe with all my heart, Jesus peers into our hearts. And he knows what's there. When you look at the story of the thief on the cross, he didn't follow all our technical ABC one, two, three rules on how you come to Jesus. Wait a minute. He didn't go through the Romans road of salvation. Jesus didn't say, okay, point one, I've got to hear point. 
This man reaching out to Jesus and say, remember me, and him saying, we deserve to be up here, showed the man's repentant heart that he owned it. Now, it wasn't all the perfect steps that we all think a person should say in order to come to Christ. But Jesus peered into this man's heart and saw a repentant heart and owning what he did. And allowing God's grace to actually come into his life. It's amazing to me. And so he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. So what can we learn from the repentant thief? Here's the thing. I want you to realize that in our walk with the Lord, God is not looking for us to be condemned, to be beat up, and to stay in that position. What God is wanting us to do is to recognize that we've fallen short of his perfection, but not to keep us there. He says, when you recognize that you've fallen short of my perfection, whatever, whatever state that you're in, whether you've grievously sinned against God or you're self-righteous, because that's just as much as a sin as any other. He's saying, when you recognize that you come to me, then my grace is going to be poured out upon you. I love this. I love this because he says, listen, I see your heart. And so what we can learn is, we can learn that the, the, the thief feared God. Look at what the scripture said. He said, but the other criminal rebuked him. He said, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, the Holy Spirit convicting his heart, he knew that he was wrong before God. And so what this criminal understood is he understood he was receiving the consequences of his action. He realized that he deserved to be where he was. He broke whatever rules there were in Rome. He realized that he grievously did something that caused him to be there. We are, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so what does this thief do? Well, what is he, he does here is he reaches out to Christ in faith. He reached out to Christ and asked him for something unbelievable. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. If there was anyone that least deserved to go into paradise, it was those that were hanging on the cross. Everybody knew what, they knew what their sins were. They were up there. They were dying, paying the penalty for their sin. Everyone was, was looking at this man, would never believe in a moment that he would deserve to go to the same place where the son of man would go. He didn't deserve it. No one else believed that he deserved to go to heaven. So how does this guy make it? How does he make it? Because he doesn't have any time to, to get off the cross and, 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 and go through, read the Bible, get baptized, join a church. He didn't have any time to do that. So how does he make it? Well, this is what I love about the story. The thief has no time to get off the cross, do all the things that he's supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. He doesn't have time to do that. It's a life or death situation. And what I want you to see is the cross is a perfect picture of God's outrageous grace. This is an unbelievable picture of God's outrageous, outrageous grace. You see, God's grace is seen in how Jesus reaches out to Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, 
who took advantage of others and was hated by others, yet Jesus reached out to him. Zacchaeus didn't deserve it, but Jesus shows him grace by saying, hey, Zacchaeus, I, I, I want to go to your house. I want, to, I want to go to your house. I want to spend some time with you. So Zacchaeus is up in this tree and he's watching Jesus go by. And Jesus calls him out. Isn't that amazing? He calls him out. Now, to all the Pharisees and all the religious thinking, hey, you don't hang out with the sinner because guilt by association. But Jesus didn't care because he knew that Zacchaeus was someone that needed saving. And salvation came to Zacchaeus' house. See, this outlandish, crazy, extraordinary grace is seen in how the father of the prodigal son, even though the son spent all his inheritance on sinful living, basically taking your inheritance before his father's death, was basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead. So he leaves, blows all his inheritance, comes back and says, I'll just work as a servant. I'll just, I'll just, whatever. I mean, just, just take me back. And what does the father do? Well, the father puts his ring on his son's hand. And puts his robe on him and throws a huge party because his lost son has now returned home. Does Zacchaeus deserve it? No. Did did the son deserve it? No. Neither one of them deserved it. Did Did the thief on the cross deserve it? No. There there's a a book of a true story. The book is called Proof, and it was just an amazing story about God's grace. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to share it with you before we take communion today. And I believe it's a, a, pitch, a perfect picture of God's grace for us. Because when this grace changes you, everything else changes. So just listen. I want you to listen to this. This was about a family that adopted a, an eight-year-old little girl. And this eight-year-old little girl was adopted by another family. Uh, they really struggled to, to, to have this girl integrate into their family. They had a lot of problems with her. Um, and so what happened is they, they dissolved the adoption, and this other family adopted this little eight-year-old girl, and they, they brought her home. And for whatever reason, this first family that adopted this girl, they would go to Disney World. They were going to go to Disney World and they would go to Disney World a couple times and, and this little girl, this adopted girl uh, was never asked to go with the biological kids because she was rambunctious. She would not follow the rules. And so as punishment, they would make her stay home and not go to the Magic Kingdom. Now, the, the new adopted family that adopted this girl understood this. That They understood that the problems they were having with the girl, they understood um, that they weren't allowed, she wasn't allowed to go to Disney World because of, um, because of uh, her actions and, and just being naughty all the time and not listening and rebelling and so on and so forth. And so this family was going to take a trip to, to, to Disney World. And, um, and so they, they, they told the little girl they're going to go. And the, of course, the little girl was acting up. And a couple of days before the family was headed to Florida, he... Um, he said, pulled the daughter on his lap and he needed to talk to her and it, because of her latest escapades and all the things that she was doing. And uh, she said to her adopted dad, she goes, I know what you're going to do. She goes, you're not going to let me go to Disney World, are you? 
And he said, within my heart, it actually, he goes, I was embarrassed to think it, but, but in the back of my mind, I was actually thinking, not letting her go because the way she was acting. And the thoughts had crossed his mind. And, but this is what he said. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom because of her actions. She tried and failed the test several times before. And she was living in a place, that place that, that for her was as far as possible from the most magical place on earth because of her actions. And he said, the father said, my easiest response would be to tell her to, 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 to say no. But he said this. He didn't say if you don't start behaving better, you're right, you're not going to go. But he said, by God's grace, I didn't. Instead, I asked her, this is a trip that we're going to take as a family. And so she nodded, brown eyes, wide open, and tear-rimmed. And he asked her, he goes, are you part of this family? And she said, yes. He said, I wish things got better after our little talk, but, but as we packed up and started going to Disney World, um, her choices pretty well spiraled out of control at every hotel and rest stop all the way to Lake Buena Vista. Still headed to Disney World on the day that we'd promise. And as typical, Disney Day, overpriced ticket, overpriced meal, lots of lines mingled with just enough manufactured magic to consider maybe going again someday. We all drink the Kool-Aid, don't we? He said, in the hotel room that evening, a very different child emerged. She was exhausted, pensive, a little weepy at times. But her mouth, long facade of rebellion, had faded. And when bedtime rolled around, I prayed with her and asked her, so how was your first day at Disney World? She closed her eyes, snuggled down into her stuffed unicorn. And after a few moments, she opened her eyes ever so slightly. And she said, Daddy, she said, I finally got to go to Disney World. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's the message of outrageous grace. See, I want you to understand something this morning. Outrageous grace isn't a favor that you and I achieve by being good. It's a gift you receive by being God's. That thief didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But Jesus came to earth to purchase us back because we are his. If grace was dependent upon our goodness, we would all fail instantaneously, wouldn't we? Grace is dependent on God's goodness. That's the gospel message. And for this thief, he put his faith in the only one who could save him. And so Jesus says to this man, this very day you'll be with me in paradise. Just basically, paradise is another name for heaven. This is the very dwelling place of God. Paradise is what the Garden of Eden is called. And Jesus is saying, I will restore what what man, I will restore what man had broken because of sin. 
and what it was like before the fall. God is making all things new. And in a moment, God restored that thief's life. It's making all things new. The man hanging down on the cross, God made new and restored him in that moment. And here are, as we get ready to take communion, here, here are two things I just want you to take away with you this morning. Your good works will never be enough to secure your future, but your past mistakes do not have to determine your future. They don't have to hold you down. And so what God does is he offers us his grace. And he says, are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to respond to my mercy today? And there's some of you here today, there's just this... this um, roadblock between you and God because you feel like you're not worthy to receive your grace. Well, guess what? None of us are. It's not based on your goodness. It's not based on how much penance you did or how many good works. Your good works outweigh your bad works. It has nothing to do with that. See, here's what happens. When I receive God's grace and what Christ has done for me, what it causes me to do is to respond to God in a completely different way. I'm not trying to gain God's acceptance through my performance anymore. Now it's like, God, I know you already accept me. Now I, I, I want to live for you and I don't want to live like I did in the past because I knew those things blocked my relationship with, with you. I don't want to live in those sinful ways anymore because not because um, you're ready to hammer me, but because I know that it will impede my relationship with you now. And so we need to learn to live out our lives under God's wonderful grace. Do you realize his grace is available to you each and every day? There's an endless supply of God's grace that can wash over us. When, when you're thinking about your past and all your past mistakes, you know what helps you to get through that? God's grace. Saying, Jesus, you died for those sins. And I know these thoughts are not from you. I know they're from the enemy. Because I am now in you. I want you to think of this. For those of you that have robes that you wear, bathrobe, nice terry cloth bathrobe, right? I want you to think of it this way. Do I still sin? Do we still sin? All in favor, say aye. Okay, we know, we all sin, right? So we're like, well, if we're, we're still sinners, how do I get into heaven? It's not based on you. It's based on Christ's righteous, righteousness. So think of Christ's righteousness as a robe that wraps around your sinfulness. And the only thing God sees now is the robe of Christ that's wrapped around you. So when I make those mistakes, I wrap myself in Christ's righteousness and I say, okay, I screwed up again. The Bible says that I should confess my sins because you're faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins. Not to condemn me and push me deeper into a dark cave, but to pull me out of that dark cave and expose those things so that Christ's love and healing can come into my life. God is about restoring, not breaking relationships. That, that's, not, that's not the gospel. The gospel is all about restoring what sin is had broken. Who would not want to receive that? And that's the message that Jesus offers every single one of us here today. So as we take communion this morning, I want you to realize that, that 
that Jesus wants us to remember the price that he paid for you and I to bring us back to God. You have to be a member to take communion. We have to be a member of God's family, and I'm going to pray. And maybe you're here today, and you feel far away from God, or you feel like, man, I'm not worthy to receive this. I, I want you to realize this morning that you can call upon the Lord, and he is there to restore you in an instant, just like the thief on the cross. Maybe some of you are here today and you've been followers of Jesus, but you just feel like, man, I'm in a rut and I, I just, I don't feel close to God. I, I don't know what it is, Pastor. I, I want you to realize that Christ is there and he wants you to reach out to him and let him restore and light the fire that, that's in your heart again. He's waiting for you to come and restore whatever things are broken. Maybe you've got a lot of hurt and pain. Maybe the disappointment that you've gone through I want you to realize that Christ is there and and wants to be with you even through that disappointment and pain. Put your hope in Christ that he's overcome the grave today. So would you bow your hearts with me? Would you just bow your hearts with me? Just before we take communion today, every every head is bowed. How many would you say today, Pastor Barden, just pray for me today. I I I need God's grace. I just need it. Whatever, whatever situation you're going through, I need God's grace. Just lift your hand. I want to I pray for you today. How many just say, I need God's grace. Amen, 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 amen. Good, 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 good. Lord, I thank you for your grace today, and I thank you for those that are responding to you. God, I pray as we come before your table today that we recognize that the cross is all about your grace that was poured out upon us, that you became our substitute, that we didn't deserve it, It was our sin that brought you on that cross. And I thank you for your love that reached out to us to pull us back in. So we respond to you by faith, not in our works, but we respond to you by faith, believing that you and you alone are enough. So cover us today. Cover us today. And Lord, I just pray for your forgiveness to flow in our hearts and our lives as we reach out to you today. Thank you. Thank you for what you did for us. And as we take communion today, help us to remember great sacrifice that you paid for us. We're so thankful, Jesus. And we ask these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.